Hello. Let's go for a ride. The ninth story. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, lived a giant, a mouse, and two chimps on a davenport. One day, the first chimp said to the other, We should make So, uh, joined again for another episode of the Ninth Story Podcast by my good friend, Mr. Craig Weber. So, how you been? Go I've, ahead and talk, I've, say I've, something. I'm speak. sorry. I, I, I've been well. I have been very well. Seems and, like... And, and enjoyable, very enjoyable to be asked back yet again. Um, feels like we, it feels like we never left. Isn't that the hallmark of a good story? You just carry it with you <laughs> every moment of every day. Right. And it seems like it never stops because it never does because that is life. This is a story, the never-ending story, which not I to be underst- confused with the never-ending story, which I understand that they're remaking. Is that true? To, to, that is a uh, apparently is re- that- it's a recurring theme for us. But yes, uh, according to Doctor Towers' uh, podcast episode where he had uh, the uh, stepfather Mike Sira on. They discussed um, one of their topics was was remakes yes. or movies that are being are rumored to be remake rumored rumored to be getting the remake treatment and uh, never ending story was one of those uh, which I think is going to be horrible because they'll just do the special effects well they would do it to death it'll, all, it'll be top. all CGI it'll, it'll be like it'll, Harry Potter right it'll be terrible um, so so that begs the question do you remake a story that never ended to begin with how do you do that if the first one never ended. Do you think that for the remake of the Neverending Story, they'll ask back Lamal? Who's Lamal? He sang the theme song to the Neverending Story. Lamal, you may know, was the lead singer of Kajagoogoo. Too shy to shy, hush hush, I do I. Really? Yes, that's a lot of knowledge. I thought that uh, the same guy that sang Chocolate Rain <laughs> sang the theme song to the Neverending Story. <laughs> he should have. <laughs> Maybe, maybe maybe they can get him maybe to sing the never ending story song I think remake it I think you're on to something there my friend so what have you been up to Dan since the last episode I've been listening to uh, a, a lot of audiobooks yes I do uh, I listen to those on my drive to and from work if I'm not listening to one of my favorite podcasts okay um, but I, I find it uh, keeps me from wanting to uh, get out of the car and strangle people uh, I have quite a long commute from where I live to where I work. It's actually not that long of a commute if there was no other fucking people on the road. Um, 
those people tend to people that does tend to add to the, it adds the, to the commute time i could get there pretty fast if it wasn't for all the fuckers that are it's all the cars in the way i listen to a lot of audiobooks and it's yes. definitely a different experience than the written word um it's more akin to old-time storytelling. I don't have a lot of time to sit down and read, sure. but it, it's a it's a great way to consume that story. But it's it's definitely a different experience. There are times whenever something's written so well, and I wish I had that to look at to see how he put that sentence together. It's funny or how that, that was structured. That. Yeah. I've done that, and I find myself listening to the audio book and actually reading the physical book. Yeah, because I'm a dork. Well, you know, the nice thing is something that I've always thought should have been done, and they now have linked the two together. You can get the audiobook and the book, and they sync Shut in the cloud. Up. Yeah. Wow. They sync in the cloud. Hey, you know, I think this technology thing's here to stay. I think it might. Yeah. I think I think, I think there's some good things, but you can go home and you can read your Kindle, mm-hmm. and in the morning you can get up and go to work, and it'll pick right up where you. Oh, where shut you, up! So you can re- be reading the physical book. Yes. Like before, you you know you're drinking a cup of coffee, sitting yes. there at the little breakfast nook, mm-hmm. not to be confused with the nook, or which is a competing device of the Kindle. Right. And you can leave, and then you hop in the car. Yes. And where you left off. In your breakfast nook on your handheld, mm-hmm. you can now pick up on the audiobook in the car. That is fantastic. Yes. And you can also link the, um, like the Kindle mm-hmm. will read to you, and it's usually the dry computer voice, but you can actually tie the two together from what I understand. I haven't tried this personally, but from what I understand, you can tie the two together so that it's like being a little kid again where they would, you'd have the, the pokey puppy and, and it would, you put the little record on and it would say, Beep, and you turn the page. I mean, I don't think it does that, but it's it's kind of the same experience. Where so like you can similar. read along sure. while Morgan Freeman reads the book to you, and then <laughs> <laughs> handed to frame what <laughs> that man <laughs> crawled through. <laughs> oh, that's awesome, Dan! Millions of people want to know. Millions, millions of fans what? want to know. I'm inquiring, you, this, inquiring minds want to know. This ninth story thing is huge. It's huge. People, it's people it's taken to, off. I mean, I know a guy who knows a guy who said people have thought about following. Well, hey. <laughs> it's been rumored. It's been it's, rumored. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and since I'm kind of paranoid, I, I I wonder often if people are following me. But not 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 on not on Twitter. So just like physically. Following so so what 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 are you listening to I'm, right I'm now? I'm listening what, to what do you got right now? What's on the hopper? Right now, right what, right in the hopper. What's the on hopper. the flight? What's on the flight deck? What do you got? Uh, in the hopper. What's in uh, the hopper? What's in the hopper? I'm listening to some Neil Gaiman. <laughs> uh, recently finished his uh, Telling Tales, which is a collection of short stories that I, I've also read, but it's a completely different experience to listen to. Does he to read? Does he does. He, and does. See, now that's got to be nice. Anything that Neil Gaiman reads, I will download. Yeah. I don't care if I've read the book yeah. like five times. Yeah. I will download it yeah. and listen to him. Uh, talk to me. Yeah. Because he's a great reader. and Because you're a lonely guy, and it's like Neil's right there. It's like Neil's right there. And I also have uh, just started listening to Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep is Stephen King's sequel to The Shining. Okay. Which I didn't know The Shining needed a sequel, but I neither, loved... Neither did I. I loved The Shining, so... I love the spirit that he's got to, you know, hey, why not? I'm going to go make a sequel to this thing that you never thought I could make a sequel to. And you know what's cool? Good for him. The very little that I've I've heard so far, well, you know how in the original in, in The Shining, of course, uh, 
Scatman. Uh, I was just going to say, is Scatman Crothers find his way back into this story? Scatman that Crothers. That is hilarious. You just read my mind because I was trying to work in a Scatman Crothers joke. That's that's because you got the shining there, son. <laughs> and oh, I've got the shining, too, it is, so I can read creepy. it in your mind. Wow. In post, you got to get some music in there that, yeah. that kind of creeps everybody out. That Right during that scene. I'll pause here. I'll well, take it. That's what happens when you ride the elevator up with Victoria. Strange things happen. See, I'm going to take a dramatic pause. Ah, there you go. See? All right. I can add crickets in. I did that. <laughs> I know. You did. You did. Uh, that was funny. That was good shit. I waited until his second long pause, though. Yeah. Well, I think Towers pauses there because his brain is doing so much shit. Because he's got 800 different interests. I think certain synapses. He's thinking just, of 15,000 different answers to that question he's, he's a lot at the like, same time. He's a lot like the Terminator in that regard, where yeah. he's just got these, these responses just like clicking in. You got, hey, buddy, you got a dead cat in there. Yes, no, maybe. Fuck you, asshole. Fuck you, asshole. Right. That's, I think that's John Towers. That's why we love him. <laughs> anyway. So Doctor Towers is a Terminator. Doctor Towers, right? Is a Terminator. He is. According. He's a cyborg. He's the one. Who, he's the one who made it through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'd won. We we have won. <laughs> he got through. Do right. not wait. <laughs> right, right. Right. Yeah, I come. I'm going to wrestle you. Now he's the no. Towers is the Kyle Reese. He's yeah, he's the, he's, he's, he's definitely he, Kyle Reese. He would beat the Terminators. He'd beat them down. He'd break through. Come with me if you want to live. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So in The Shining. Because when I was a little kid, everybody called me Danny. And when I went oh. to the movie theater, oh no! And my parents were watching The Shining. Yeah. And the two little girls came out. Yeah. Come and play with us. Come and play with us, Danny. Forever and ever. And I had nightmares. For, I don't know. Twelve. Long twelve time. years. You just stopped having them last week. <laughs> just last week, right. I was like. I think I'm finally okay. And it was last Tuesday. And yeah. now you started listening to this Dr. Sleep thing on your own. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's someone with the two creepy little chicks. Yeah. Ugh. They're much creepier in the book than they are in the movie. Well, I think you're just saying that. But they're pretty fucking creepy in the movie. No, Especially since they said my name and I was like, I don't know, what, six, seven? I'm like, they're talking to me. Who narrates that? Is it anybody? Is it anybody we know? Is it stage actor or so and so because that's usually um, who ends up doing well it's over. it's you know the original one it's like so and you may recognize so and so from his work in law and order <laughs> an episode of murphy brown you know? um, who was it that murphy uh brown. come on you gotta get yeah I, I, that. Who, who who was it that just passed away he was in um midnight run and a lot of other movies played the stereotypical bad guy this is more on Oh, Dennis one. Farina. Dennis yeah, Farina. Dennis Farina. Dennis Farina narrates Dr. Sleep. Sh- shut up. <laughs> no. He doesn't. Wouldn't that be awesome, though? No, I was gonna, oh, seriously. You said that so convincingly. It's I thought a, you thought that was true. It's, it's that like, would be great. It's like uh, Samuel L. Jackson yeah, narrating Go the Fuck to Sleep. Did right. you ever hear that? Yeah, right, exactly. Dennis Go. Farina. <laughs> Dennis Farina. That's hilarious. <laughs> hey, Doc. <laughs> you shut the fuck up. I'll come out there. I'll kick you in the little fucking ass, you piece I'm of shit. I'm a sandwich. Have a cream soda. Have some fucking, fucking thing. Yeah. Hey, Sydney. I swear to God, Sydney. <laughs> I'm going to stab you through the fucking, fucking heart with this pencil. pencil. <laughs> this is more on number one. Put more on number two on the phone. I'll stab Serrano. you through the heart with Jimmy a fucking Serrano. pencil. Jimmy Serrano. That's Jimmy it. Jimmy Serrano. That's Serrano's the character. got the discs. Serrano's got the discs. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, um, I think that's like the only, well, no, actually, there's one other movie that I can tolerate. Charles Grodin? Charles Grodin. Yeah, I knew you were going to say Grodin. 
Yeah. Because uh, Jonathan Mardukas, the Duke. Yeah, he's great in that movie, and, and it's a great point. Because yeah, I don't like Roden either. No. He annoys the piss out of me. He, I think I like... Lonely um, Guy? He's okay in The Woman in Red, Gene Wilder, Kelly LeBrock. But you know what Groden's okay in? Groden is okay in... Do you ever see Seems Like Old Times? Goldie Hawn, Chevy Chase. I might have. It's a Neil Simon play that was made into a film back in the seventies. It's a. It's like. I, a, I mean, I, I went through my phase and, and of Groden's, watching. Groden's okay in that. He, I went through my phase of watching a lot of those movies. Yeah. Like I, I went through my phase of watching a lot of Burt Reynolds movies. It's, and, it's 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 that's at the phase where Groden is first like coming onto the scene in Hollywood, and we don't know that he's Charles Groden yet. Ah, uh, because you know, he's and he's actually kind of um he's kind of a tough guy in that he's like a DA, Ira. I believe is his name, and he's the district attorney. I have seen. This. Yeah, it's the whole. He's yeah, married to Goldie yeah, Hawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Goldie's Hawn. Goldie Hawn's ex-husband is 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 Chevy Chase, and blah blah blah. It's it's fun. It's fun. Benson Robert Guillaume is in it. It's, it's good. But anyway, I think we should take a break. We should take a, a break. Quick break. All right, let's do it. We'll be back. I broke my last one. Where is the music box? Hey, this is John from Red Horse Radio, and you're listening to Ninth Story. Let's see. So, what else are we going to talk about here? So, uh, we should let's just go back. Yes, because I think back we left it. off. I mean, you know, we we we've dangled it out there. Yeah. So to speak. Well, hey now, it's not that now. kind of show. Sometimes people read books; they do, but it's not the same thing. In, in my opinion, and I know I'm old school in that. That yeah. a book on a, a Kindle, which is great, Kindles are great, but it, there's just something missing. There's 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 this old there's a lack of attachment to, to certain things, and we become. I think the mere fact of us reading books on electronic devices kinds of kind of desensitizes and takes us away from the story. I know that's. That's 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 off topic, but it's it's. Well, yeah, we can we can definitely talk about that because I, I have a little bit of a different opinion on that. But that's I think that's definitely a topic for a, a future show to talk about um, the way that stories storytelling has changed over the years. But and I and I get it yeah. because the the easy argument to me is like, hey, Craig, would you still prefer to just carry around a fucking cave wall 
and have your stories told by somebody to you in chalk. No, I get it. It does evolve. I get it. And then, and then I think that's part of it. But my, my point there is as the, as the delivery mechanism for the story evolves, mm-hmm. storytelling shouldn't get so fucking lazy. I agree with that. <laughs> I agree with that. I think that it presents new opportunities yeah. and new possibilities. That's right. If it's done correctly. One of the problems with the preponderance of or the availability of skipping the editing process and going to print, meaning I wrote a book <laughs> and I'm just going to publish it on fucking Kindle today. That's that's, that's right. That's it dilutes everything. It does. In it. Um, I think you make a really good point there. You nailed it. This kind of goes back to something I read in the novel Timequake by Kurt Vonnegut. He's a favorite author of mine. Timequake probably came out in 97. I don't know if you've ever read Vonnegut, but he's very insightful and a cynical son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. But cynical in the way that he, he makes you think. Right. And he could see the good things about technology. And he wrote about that a lot. Yeah. Here's what's good about it, but here's what it's doing. He was writing about this in 97. And his argument was people used to go to school to learn how to be an architect to learn how to put building plans together and draw blueprints and do all this stuff. And that was how you became good at that crap. Now there's a computer program for it. Yeah. So everybody thinks they're an architect. Right. It's the same thing about music. People used to spend hours and hours practicing their instrument. And now everybody can just push a button. And your point is great that because you can self-publish and you can just get a book out and say, look, I'm a published author. Yeah. It dilutes yes. everything. Yes. And there is so much work out there. And what that does, in my opinion, is detract from the good stuff. There will be a less likely chance of the next great author being found because he'll be such a, he or she will be such a small fucking fish in a huge pond yes. of people who just have books out there. And that's the thing. We demystified everything. There's not going to be that guy who gets the record contract and explodes because every Tom, Dick, and Harry can put out his or her own CD these days. Same thing with the book. Because everybody thinks they can do it, all you get now is drivel. It's shit. Yeah. It's just shit. The difference between a great author and someone that wants to be a great author is that the great author does something about it, that it's hard. You have to actually write. You have to actually finish it and get it out there. I think what we're what we're faced with today is a lot of writers that they have the ambition and they have the follow through, but they don't have the patience or are lazy or over anxious and don't realize that I need to make sure it's my best work before I put it out there. And then there's the other side of that, too, which is, OK, it's good enough. It's finally done. Yeah. It's never going to be perfect. Go ahead and put it out there. Don't just mindlessly obsess about it because then you go nowhere. But there is so much out there now that is subpar. I mean, there's still good work out there. I mean, don't get me wrong. There is, there is. And I'm a big proponent for self-publishing and indie publishing because I think that the days of the gatekeeper are gone. How many great writers were rejected hundreds and hundreds of times before their work got out there? And how many great authors did we lose? Sure. Because they did have good work and they just happened to run across somebody that looked at the first page and said, eh, not my stuff. I mean, a lot of the great authors that are out there, I mean, we talked about King earlier. I mean, he had tons and tons and tons of rejections. Yeah. Didn't King, I mean, I can't remember, but didn't he write for Playboy? Or wasn't he doing... Uh, uh, like, I think it was Penthouse, if he I'm was not doing, mistaken. He did something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. all those short stories are actually recompiled in a collection of short stories called Night Shift. 
which is uh, really good. It's I saw the movie Henry Winkler and uh, Michael Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a different night shift that's, altogether. I'm yeah, sorry. the look of confusion right. on my face. I'm like, did Dan, I, I got you on that one. Come you on, did. yeah, you did. Yeah. Have you read on writing? Because it's a great book. If you haven't read it, if people haven't read on writing, you should. It's it's, it's been a long. I read that a long time ago. I would rather read a book about an author than I would read the author's books because I think that's the the, the attraction to me is the process. Uh, the process. I love the creative. That, that's the thing. Because, How do you do it? Because that's what I'm jealous of. You yeah. know, it's that it's that whole thing. Like I don't necessarily want to read your story. I, I, I don't mean it like that. I love the story, but. I'm attracted to your process. How do you do it? What do you do? What inspired you to do it? Yeah. That, that's the thing that's really appealing to me. My theory on, on indie publishing, it takes longer, but I still believe that good work will find its audience. Agreed. You know what? Shitty work will too. Well, <laughs> there's an audience for everything. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> uh, for everybody, for, for every 200 of us that reads some piece of dribble and says it's crap, there's that one person that's like, that's the best thing ever. You know, you know what's funny. I well, love Twilight. While, while, while we're on this, uh, <laughs> not so me. While we're, while we're on this topic, and it goes back to, um, you know, I made reference here to that lecture that I've been listening to when I was talking about the King Arthur. It's, it's funny because here you have a PhD in writing. I mean, that's that's what the woman does for a living. Yes, teaches about writing, teaches how to write, teaches how to read and enjoy good writing, how you distinguish good writing from bad writing, etc. She made a couple of great points. This is kind of on topic of what you're talking about here, about good writing doesn't necessarily need to be perfect and or grammatically correct. And a lot of people focus on that. Yes. Good writing needs to, and that's, and you know me, that's where I fall short. I need it to be perfect grammatically. I'll tear it apart, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I lose focus on making it engaging and interesting. I want to make sure that it's letter perfect here, here, and here. I think the story is the more important part. I mean, a absolutely. You, you can always find a good copy editor. I think that the story has to be strong first. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. And I think that's where a lot of people lose focus. And that's something that Seth Godin and Neil Gaiman have both talked about, that it's it doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. It just has to be good. And tweak it here and tweak it a little bit there and change it. And then I go back and change it back to the way that it was. At some point, you're just like, okay, it's as good as it's going to get. Yeah. You know, and it, focus live on, on the story. You exactly. know, and that's the thing. Focus on the story because I think there, there it, as with everything, there's a happy medium. And I think what happens is when people go to school to learn how to write, I think people who teach you how to write, I think they focus too much on what I described. Being letter perfect, grammatically correct. Yeah. They focus on that. And I think if you're doing that, you're crushing the creative side. Absolutely. Of the writer. Absolutely. But then I think too many people in this day and age, as you are, you know, eloquently yeah. waxed on about there, they, they're like, fuck it. I'm just getting it out there because who are you to judge me? This is how I write. This is my voice. Yes, exactly. Okay. I get that and I respect that, but try, try to spell 60% of the things correctly or try to stumble across punctuation. Put some effort into occasionally. it. Occasionally. Right. I get it. I get yeah. it. But in that same discussion, she kind of acknowledges, while I prefer these types of things and while I may view this as good writing or desirable writing, there are a lot of commercial authors out there, particularly in the, the fiction arena, right. in, in the mysteries and the whatnot, the, the suspense, that it's complete crap from a pure writing perspective. Yeah. But she acknowledged, however... 
if I'm lying on a beach somewhere, that's probably exactly the type of book I yep. want to read. You, you, sometimes you, you don't necessarily want something that's going to overtax you. And I think that's there's the popcorn factor to yep. it. I know I shouldn't have six Oreos and a glass of milk and then six more Oreos and right. then maybe six more Oreos. But every once in a while, you treat yourself and you're just like, you know, hey, I'm having fun. So Exactly. If you read too much of that, I think your brain rots away. You have to intersperse it with. Yeah, and, and, and again, it's it's master the obvious type of stuff. But I think it's nice to occasionally hear that from somebody who that's their profession. Yes. That's their vocation is to teach you about good writing who says, you know what? Every now and then it's okay to have a little mind candy. Right. If you're sitting on a beach, and she doesn't call anybody out, but if you want to read Twilight, yeah. read it. <laughs> if you want to read a Grisham novel, read it. You know? Yeah. One of my guilty pleasure authors is, is Dean Koontz. I like yeah. to read Dean Koontz for fun. And that and doesn't I'm sure take when anything. She's talking that she's talking about Dean Koontz. She's talking about who's the other guy, James Patterson. Yeah. You know, the, it, Patricia Cornwell, those people who just, they're churning out three, four yeah. books a year. And Dean has some, he's not and by any means a bad writer. He can wax very poetic sometimes and he can get very descriptive. And mm-hmm. anybody that's practiced the craft, I mean, like anyway. Remember, Hemingway was the same way. Yeah, I mean... The guy could write some beautiful sentences, and then he just wrote other, like, Dan yeah. sat at the table. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the... Uh, let me let me make a, a sentence that's an entire paragraph, and then I'll just, you know, stutter fire short dialogue yeah. at you. I think there's definitely merit to that. Sometimes you just want to write some stuff that's fun. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you have something serious to say. And most of the time, it's a mix of the two. You're not serious all the time. You're not joking around all the time either one gets boring you got to mix it up a little bit it's funny you say that because i think you know if you look at if you look at breaking bad the way that it's described on the digital cable yeah the show is described as a comedy drama really yeah i think the writers probably approach it in that way and going back to you know we we talked once before about vince gilligan who's the creator writer of that show who was an x-files guy I think the X-Files always walked that line, too. It's suspense, it's drama, but there's a lot of comedic elements in it. You can't And I think have. writers have to, it's a great point that you make there with, you know what, I can stay true to my genre, but I can incorporate a lot of other genres here. Yes, I'm a suspense, horror, whatever, writer, but I can incorporate elements of comedy in yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. No, nothing says I can't. And sometimes I just want to be intellectually lazy and a little schlocky here. That's okay. Yeah, I have a, a group of uh, folks that get together and we, we write and we read each other's stuff and critique. Someone shared a chapter that was kind of almost like a throwaway chapter, and I don't want to say that in a negative way. It didn't, it, it was like a break from the rest of the story. It didn't yeah. 100% tie in. And, and, you know, that was one of the things we talked about is, you know, hey, you, you might be able to use certain pieces of this and tie it into something that comes before or after. And, you know, it's like a little hidden Easter egg for people that are reading the book the second yeah. time. They didn't pick up on it the first time. But I think that that's something that a lot of writers do in their novels. I mean, writers that I've read and Sometimes you have a character that's just there. You have a, an entire chapter or a short chapter or an appearance of a character that is just there to kind of break the mood. It's like a palate cleanser type of thing. And, yeah. and sometimes that's that's fine and that's fun. I mean, I know that there's the other school of thought, which is, you know, every word that you put in there needs to have a purpose and you don't want to waste your reader's time. But I think that there's also sometimes the... The fact that your reader wants to break for a second and just be like, okay, what I just read was pretty intense. I need a little bit 
to take a step back from that and let it if Breaking Bad was just all dark no one would watch it you great point great point and I would be one of the people who wasn't watching it yeah yeah I, I I'm with you on that entirely because there's got to be some element of like okay I need a fucking break this is it's too much it's too intense yeah and you can't maintain a specific emotion for an extended period of time because your brain just can't deal with that eventually you just become numb to it yeah have you ever heard the the Friday the 13th formula about every 13 minutes there either has to be a death or boobs <laughs> no and I'm sure somebody did something like okay if something doesn't happen within 13 minutes whether somebody getting killed or somebody having sex <laughs> um, we're gonna lose them so we gotta do something Wait, and, that's, the, the, and, and maybe that's a commentary on the, the, the attention span of a teenager. I, I don't know. Maybe it is. But that's, uh, uh, and I, I remember that that was on the uh, the director's track of the DVD for Friday the 13th, Part 9. Jason Goes to Hell, Final Friday, whatever. Um, and um, that's 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 what they said. That's that's the they're mandated by that. And, and Sean Cunningham, you know, the, the the executive producer, the original Friday the 13th guy, and then he stayed right up there through all of them. He made everybody do that, like so, every 13 minutes. So it's like the uh, it's like Joseph Campbell's uh, The Hero's Journey formula that George Lucas followed so religiously in the first three Star Wars movies. <laughs> Not so much in the ones that came now, after. Now, hold on. Did, did Lawrence Kasdan follow it in the second one? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, because every, you know, that's the whole thing. And then I get it. It's the, well, and a lot of that has to do with dialogue. And <laughs> yeah, I think Lucas wrote the, he, he always developed the story. He's a great story yeah. guy. But then you had to bring somebody over to help with the dialogue. Yes. Which is, we, we beat that one to death. I saw a, um, a great little, um, video that somebody did as an open letter to J.J. Abrams. The dear J.J. Abrams yes. thing. Yes. And fantastic. They I, went. <laughs> I loved it. It's fantastic. They went through why the first three movies were so much better. And by the first three movies, I mean the ones that were originally filmed. Yes. Not the prequels. Yes. Um, I mean, the, the prequels, they have some redeeming qualities and there's some things to be said for them, but they're not the first three. They're not definitely not Empire Strikes Back. And I'm sure everybody's tired of hear people saying, oh, the Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes, Empire Strikes. That's awesome the way you're doing that. Yeah. <laughs> that's it sounds like, like you're... It's it's the... Uh, what is that? Uh, I want people to know Dan did that with his mouth. There was no <laughs> technology involved in that. Hey, now. Yeah. That sounds... Hey, uh, now. That does sound... That sounds bad. <laughs> that sounds dirty. So, um, you, I know where you're going with the... Everybody talks yeah. about Empire Strikes Back like it's the fucking end be all end all of all movies. There is that second movie thing that, for whatever reason, second movies always seem to be the better of the two. Yeah, there is. Uh, the, the or thing, three or four or however it, many come. Sometimes if I just want to be a dick about Empire, I will tell people, agreed, Empire has elements of being the best of the original three. Yeah. But the thing that always upsets me about people who say it's the best movie, it's not. Because it doesn't stand on its own. No. You know, that's the thing. The it's, only so one that can stand best. on its own is the first one. Right. It's not the best movie. It's a great story, and it's yes. a great to be continued. Yes. You knew damn well that it was just part two and that part three was... You know, right. at that, back then, it was the whole, we're sucking you in, and three years from now, there's going to be another one. Yeah. And it was neat, and the storytelling in that one is good, and the dialogue in that one is the best. Yeah. Absolutely. 
and it's dark and everybody is attracted to the fact that it's a dark film yeah and it's a real bummer again a g- great it is yeah I- yeah i mean wrath of khan is the same way yeah godfather, godfather part, part two. two is the I best think yes. yeah you, you have your characters established yeah. now you can actually, now you can have some fun with exactly them. that's right and i think that's why i mean right. more than anything else not i mean the dialogue definitely plays a big part in it sure. and, and the way that it's been it was directed plays a big part in it but the fact is, it's 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 chapter two. It's it's the it's where the actual story starts. That's right. Know? That's a great point, and I, and I think there. I think that is so often missed, and it goes yeah. back to my art, that point about so many things don't take off because the audience just doesn't have the patience to yeah. hang in there with you, or television executives, Hollywood executives say, "Fuck it, we're not doing another one of those." Where the first one didn't make enough money. Yeah. Or we don't have enough viewers. And I, I, to your earlier point, who knows what we've missed out on? Yeah. In terms of some of the, the great stories that were never told. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that will be and already has started to change is binge viewing. I and mean, that's how I started watching Breaking Bad. You said you watched it from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So you actually waited from week to week. To, yeah. To yeah. see what was going to happen yeah. next. And, you know, I picked up Lost the same way. I didn't, I wasn't a Lost, Lost yet out of the gate. I watched everything except for the final two seasons on DVD. Yeah. And a friend of mine, uh, Dave Hatfield, and I had a, a conversation about this too. The people that watched Lost as a binged event were less disappointed by the ending than the people that watched it from week to week to week to week. And it also changes the way you see a story and the way you see. Lost is is probably one of the first shows. Twin Peaks did it, but they were way before their time. But Lost was one of the first shows, I think, that started to play with everything's connected and everything's tied together, which bleeds into Breaking Bad. They do a lot of that, too. And I think that without Lost, a a show like Breaking Bad wouldn't have existed. Little tiny things are connected and they become more important later on. And you miss things if you're watching from week to week to week to week. Um... When you're watching those things binge, you get a different perspective of it. Maybe you get closer to what the original writer, director, whoever, producer actually intended for you to see because you're picking up all of those things. That's a great theory. The X-Files is a favorite Mm -hmm. show of mine of all time. And I wasn't with the X-Files from the very beginning. I got that probably somewhere about season three was when I caught that. And The West Wing is my favorite show of all time. I still watch. I watch that repeatedly. Still do. Because yeah. I have all of it. And I jumped into the West Wing probably somewhere in about season four. It had already won the Emmy many, many times. When you're watching story arcs in close proximity with one another, you do follow. You, t- you tend to remember things a lot a, a lot better and you do pick up on things. Yeah. I, I agree with that. That's, that's, a, that's a great theory. And, you know, the X-Files, if you weren't there from the beginning, you got to take advantage of the pre-Netflix thing, which was... Every night at ten o'clock on this, Fox, on yeah, Fox, right, right, right. That's where I caught up on it. Yeah. That's and that's what I did. Yeah. That was that was the beauty of it. I caught. It's, it's great that you say that because I caught up on the X Files when it went into syndication. Yeah, that was when I went back and you could watch it every night at seven o'clock. And they played, and them then in it was order, on again. Hopefully. Right, they did. They played them exactly in order so you could catch up on it. Yeah, yeah. A- amen, amen. And that's why shows like Twin Peaks failed because I mean, well, first of all. Twin Peaks was a little too cerebral for the audience that's... Well, David Lynch is tough, period. He is. He, he's, he's tough viewing. He's tough reading. He's I tough. mean, if Twin Peaks was on today, I think it would be fine. If you took that same show and you put it on network TV today, 
I think it would pick up a following, and I think people would watch it. Here's where I respectfully disagree with you. Why is that? Because I think if it, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just messing with you. Your basic concept is right, the show. But I think because David Lynch is a fuckhead, <laughs> I think if people started to get it and appreciate it, he would start to change it and say, you know what? I don't want you to get it. I'm going to make it so far fucking out there that that mainstream America. He would start changing it. I think you're I right. Think, Conceptually, think, yeah. the themes of Twin Peaks and the way that show was mm-hmm. and the fact that ABC didn't know what the hell to do with it. Right. The season one was this noir trope series and season two, all of a sudden there's like little guys talking backwards. See, and, see, and that's, crazy that's what I'm saying. I think that's giants. the Lynch factor. Right. I need see, I know. And that's David Lynch. It's like, oh, I got you sucked in now. Yeah. Now. That's where I like. Right. Man. That's the band thing. We, we hooked you with our first album. Yeah. When we gave you all the bubble gum. Now on the second album, now we're going to hit you with shit that we want to play. Yeah. And I think that's what Lynch would continue to do. And that's what he did. I think in this day and age, it would have made it through more than two years or whatever its run was. Because after the first year, ABC was like, holy shit, we don't even know what this is. We didn't know what this was. But every critic in the world is telling us it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Let's preempt it for uh, football. Right. And and then they're like, yeah, but, but, you know, now... It was back before VCRs. Yeah. Like right when VCRs were... We were still very conservative as a a television viewing public. Cable was just taken off. I mean, you had, you know, you had maybe 50 channels back then if you were lucky, but now you got 200 and something. (laughs) And there's less to watch. Right. And there's no original writing on television anymore. But anyway. Yeah. And let's just slap a bunch of weirdos in a room together and see what happens. Yeah. At least they learned from Magical Mystery Tour that when you put a bunch of circus, circus freaks on a bus together and film it, nothing fucking happens. So best that we write something and make it look like there's uh, a bunch funny. of circus freaks thrown together on a bus. And together. now that's a great, great reference there, Daniel. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I guess that's the end of the show for this week. Da 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 da. That's a, that's a great ending. You like that? I do. I do. I love that. Well, thanks for having me along. Well, thanks for inviting me into your home. Yes, absolutely. Nice for coming by the studio. You've been listening to the Ninth Story Podcast. A hicks and fabulous production. I broke it. Yeah, so Doctor Sleep is narrated by Will Patton. Hmm. I know Will Patton. Yeah? Yeah. Hang out. No, well, I mean, I don't know him, but I can visualize Will Patton. He's I know a, of him. He's a character actor. I can visualize him. I, I, I you know, who read, you know, who read The Shining. Morgan Freeman. <laughs> yes, Andy Dufresne. And Jack Torrance was never the same again. Wow. <laughs> you know what? You're gonna, you're gonna you start doing the promos for the show. You're gonna do the Morgan Freeman introduction. I am. Yeah, there you, you go. You can be like, uh, welcome to the ninth story. <laughs> today and so it was on that day <laughs> that's tremendous <laughs> and, morgan freeman everyone yes yeah, so how, how about how about <laughs> and uh morgan freeman has this to say about the <laughs> morgan freeman has this to say about the ninth story podcast i can't i can't hey, i'm not a <laughs> <laughs>
I'm not a. I'm not come a chain. On. I'm not, I'm come not. on, monkey, dance! <laughs> right, I'm not, I'm not, come on, I'm monkey. monkey over here, dance, yeah. monkey, dance! I can't, I can't do it on. I'm on playing cue. the music. Right. <laughs> maybe if I brought some penguins in maybe, or something maybe, like that. Maybe. One, two, one, you up from thin air Sell my soldiers to touch you Though I know 